Hi everyone, this is Sam Black with Drafting Archetypes, and this week I'm going to be talking about drafting black-green in March of the Machine. As always, notes are available to follow along at patreon.com slash draftingarchetypes. And as we discussed last week, black-green is basically an average performing archetype. There are, like, there's kind of a big tie scrum in the middle black green performs almost exactly as well as blue green green white and blue red those are all kind of the like average archetypes in the format so playable but not something you're prioritizing getting into i wanted to get straight into uh kind of the big picture strategic positioning and your goals with black green with some other archetypes i've talked about how there are like a lot of different ways to draft it and there's like an aggressive approach and a controlling approach and that's probably always true to some extent but i don't think it's very pronounced with black green i think that black green is kind of always trying to be like a classical mid-range deck and specifically i think that black green its focus in general, should be to play a small game. You want to trade resources with your opponent as much as possible. So specifically, you want to really prioritize removal. And the reason for this is that black-green has weaker or less scaling synergies than a lot of other uh, archetypes, but also has a lot of uh, card advantage in the form of kind of like low impact, really small ball marginal advantage. So like at common, you have Nuzumi Informant, uh, the one one that makes your opponent discard a card, Overgrown Past the 2-2 that puts a looks at top the top five cards for a land or DFC, Elvish Vat Keeper, the uncommon 3-3 that incubates two and then can double the size of your incubators for five mana, Herbology Instructor, the uncommon 1-3, that can transform into a 3-3 that gives something minus 3, minus 3. You can splash Halo Forager and Invasion of Amonkhet. Um, so there are a lot of ways to like get up a fraction of a card or a card later or just generally things that like grind your opponent well. But for all that to matter, you need to stop your opponent from scaling out of control. You need to not die to flyers. You need to you need to have answers to the things that matter so that you can make the game about kind of these like scrappy one, one to three, three creatures. So the danger here basically is it's easy to get kind of lost in the sauce of drafting the card advantage stuff. That is kind of the essential thing that green black excels at and find yourself drafting a big game deck you know, if you have a bunch of permanents that are kind of drawing you cards and giving you extra objects, all of those cards, you know, to use the language I've used before, vote for a large game. Anything that's putting an object into play and finding another object is just kind of increasing the total number of objects. But green-black, despite having all these cards that vote for a large game, really, really, really wants to play a small game, which it can do as long as you prioritize removal. And so the stats show some interesting things here that support this theory. This idea, incidentally, came from looking at 
the um, commons that performed best in black green and also looking at the recent trophy decks on 17 lands and just noticing that uh, the trophy decks tended to have a lot of removal spells and basically across the board, almost every removal spell outperformed basically every non-removal spell to the extent that like Afara's Dispersal was the top performing card in blue-black in really, really small numbers, but outperforming Preening Champion as a splash. That was just kind of the best performing cards in green and black are like Dead Leader Asian, Final Flourish, and um, Cosmic Hunger, all the removal spells. And so kind of, you know, thinking about why became clear that green-black is really, really good at this like small ball, low, low impact, you know, low stakes card advantage cards kind of game. But without anything that's like pumping your whole team, without Convoke, without all of these like scaling mechanics that tell you that you want a big game, it's easy to fall into a trap of accidentally playing a big game. So you need to super, super highly prioritize just every removal spell you can get so that you're trading resources as much as possible to keep the game small. And then your secondary consideration is, okay, well, when there's no removal available, what am I taking to actually kill my opponent with? And there you want the grindy cards, you want the card advantage cards, and then you have a pretty synergistic uh, deck and approach. And there, in about six minutes, is basically, I think everything that you actually need to know about green black i'm going to go into some details but to me that's really the heart of what's going on with this archetype and i do think that that's actually a fairly common structure for green black in limited and even in magic but it's really highlighted well in this format where other colors are a lot more likely to have you know, convoke and scaling like plus one, plus one counter synergies or, you know, just different kinds of ways that they can really punish you for not keeping the game small. So some of the other implications here. This deck really likes Wary Thespian, the uh, two mana three one that scries when it enters the battlefield or surveils when it enters the battlefield or dies. The surveil itself is worth a fraction of a card in card advantage but more importantly, it's the best common two-mana enabler for Cosmic Hunger, the uh, one-on-green instant bite spell, and then it also just trades well. You want to prioritize high-power, low-toughness creatures because you want trades to happen, kind of the opposite of the way that like a deck with backup wants to prioritize even statted or higher toughness creatures so that you get more mileage out of a plus one plus one counter because your creature is stickier. So like a green white deck that's putting counters on things doesn't want wary thespian because it'll trade. Whereas a black, it'll trade even after you make it into a four, two, a four, two trades with most of the same things that a three, one trades with, but black green does want wary thespian for exactly the same reason that it will trade, but that's upside. Another thing that kind of stood out, uh, I've been pretty down on land cyclers in this format. I've mentioned that before in the podcast, but they have kind of exceptionally good win rates in this archetype. Even the, you know, even slash especially 
the off-color ones perform well in black-green, which kind of makes sense in that, you know, if you're trying to play a long attrition-based small game, then high-impact cards uh, overperform and the land cyclers, you know, slot in perfectly there in terms of just being able to have a card that's not a blank if you don't hit six lands, but that gives you a higher impact play in your deck, gives you a little bit more power in those late games that you excel at getting to when you prioritize removal. Looking at overrated or, you know, underperforming slash overrated and overperforming slash underrated commons, Portent Tracker and Aetherblade Agent are probably the most overrated commons in this archetype. Uh, Portent Tracker makes a lot of sense. It's a low-impact card. You're playing small games. So simply casting that, um, you know, like spending a spell slot in your deck, right? Like you usually don't cut a land for Portent Tracker. To get a 1-1, this is the kind of thing where a bunch of cards you're going to trade off, and then when the dust settles, you have whatever you have left. And if what you have left is a 1-1, that's not going to do anything. It's not going to be able to end the game if it's the only creature left around. Uh, it's not going to like provide virtual card advantage by blanking any of your opponent's creatures. It's just not a useful object. And the ramp, of course, is also at a low value when your deck is designed to play attrition games rather than tempo games. You can just wait and cast your spells later. You're going to have time. That's the whole point of playing all the removal. So really not a deck where Portent Tracker is going to perform well or makes any sense. Aetherblade Agent, to me, there's no reason that that would underperform in this deck specifically. Obviously, it's totally in line with this, what this deck's trying to do. It is very reliably able to trade with another creature, and if it's the last thing standing uh, and you transform it, a 3-3 that draws cards is uh, pretty great. But I think that what's going on with Aetherblade Agent is just that it uh, underperforms in the format as a whole. It's uh, taken relatively early and wins not that much. I think that's because it has a high ceiling and reads pretty well, but I think that in practice it just kind of gets squeezed by Preening Champion and Farah's Dispersal, where you can't block a 2-2 flyer, you can't attack into a 1-1, and then if you transform you just get set really far behind by a bounce spell or a removal spell. Obviously, in practice, you don't always play against Preening Champion, but I think that there are some other cards that put you in a similar spot. And I don't know, that, that's the best I have for why Aetherblade Agent doesn't seem to perform as well, really, in any archetype as players seem to expect based on how high they take it. The black and green commons that, potential, that are potentially underrated, there's not really anything that super stands out here because, you know, this is very nuts and bolts, you know, mid-range limited, the good cards are good, the bad cards are bad kind of situation. And especially because this deck really wants uh, as much like removal and interaction as it can get, those are kind of the cards that you know, people just know to prioritize highly, you know, stuff like bread, you know, bombs, removal, etc. Like everyone knows to prioritize removal limited. This deck wants removal. So the cards that you're looking for aren't really cards that are underrated. 
but the closest I could find are like Seed of Hope and Arachnoid Adaptation, just green cards that are, you know, generally taken pretty late and perform relatively well. But nothing, nothing super noteworthy there. And then when we look at uncommons, we see all the usual underperformers, by which I mean basically expensive battles and expensive transform creatures. Notably, even in this kind of, you know, attrition-based small game style deck, Invasion of Eldraine, Invasion of Lorwyn, uh, Invasion of Lagratha, those are all cards that sound like they would be on plan, but they just uh, don't do well in the format in general the, the it, you know it, as as this set plays out we really see a lot of evidence that cheap cards are strong and you know sorcery speed removal always has the problems that sorcery speed removal has especially with people you know having access to things like Sabai cryptomancer the one one blue flash creature that gives hexproof and the white intervention whatever it's called uh the plus one plus one and protection uh trick um the expensive sorcery speed removal ends up being a touch on the clunky side and also like green black's not fantastic at being able to flip battles uh with no evasive creatures or anything you basically need to just like be ahead and you know a card that's a little bit better when you're ahead and actively bad when you're behind isn't really the kind of thing that you're looking for. So it's easy to get uh, pulled in by, you know, these like gold cards that seem like they're in line with what you want, but just internalize that, uh, you know, cards like Invasion of Lorwyn just don't do well in this format and look for cheaper removal. And then quickly, rares to avoid, just rares that are taken very highly relative to how much they win, perform more like, you know, average to below average commons, but get taken as high pick rares. Uh, tribute to the World Tree, this is just true across the board, but, you know, it's uh, that that's the green, green, green enchantment that uh, makes small creatures bigger and draws you play big creatures. Theoretically kind of good as a, like, value engine in a long game deck but also it's good in a deck that's very densely very you know full of creatures and uh this deck wants a lot of non-creatures in the form of a lot of removal spells in addition to the fact that tribute to the world tree just has an untenable casting cost and is a really bad draw in the late game then uh Obash, Umori, and uh, Invasion of Ikoria are all kind of weak filler cards that get taken pretty highly, and you should probably not take them early, which means that you probably won't take them when you see them. So that's kind of my core thesis on uh, Black Green. You know, small game, small game, small game, and my individual card note. So let's go to uh, questions from Twitch. No new patrons this week to shout out, but uh, if anyone is interested in uh, joining the Patreon and supporting the podcast, as always, check out patreon.com slash drafting archetypes for more details. And let's get into some questions. So first up, does Tidal Terror, the uh, blue land cycling creature, 
overperform in black green or just the more splashable ones yeah not title terror obviously if you're actually black green blue blue isn't a realistic splash it's um the uh red and white ones that uh were notable as appearing high on the win rate list despite being cards that i don't even like in their colors um obviously you potentially get more i don't know whether land cyclers in your base or splash color make more sense is another topic but those, those cards perform well in this archetype relatively speaking Discard is also contributing to a small game. How important are informants and uh, especially Invasion of Eldraine? Uh, ended up mentioning later, Invasion of Eldraine um, doesn't perform super well. Uh, informant, I think, is good, but I think of it more in the space of um, card advantage uh, threat rather than like removal spell um yes it is a card that like votes for a small game but in a way that's really really low impact and doesn't answer specific problems so i think that it's like in line with what you're trying to do but i don't even think that this is a good deck for it relatively speaking because i don't think that this archetype does much to take advantage of the one one but traumatic revelation is a discard spell that i'm very interested in in this deck Render inert does exist as a way to flip battles, but it's a clunky, like two card combo in an archetype that doesn't really want to have a lot of battles. Fortunately, render inert as a removal spell is somewhat in line with what you're trying to do, but I don't think that you want to prioritize it most of the time. If you have like invasion of Innistrad or some other uh, strong invasion then you might want it, but I, I wouldn't be looking to like try to combine render inert with the uh, uncommon invasions, like the uncommon battles that aren't very good. If you start splashing invasion of Amonkhet, it's a different story. How much does the size of your creature base affect how you uh, evaluate raised dead effects like Unsealed and Acropolis and Wildwood Escort? I don't know that the size of your creatures is really the thing that matters there. The more your best cards are creatures, the more I like those, because the more you get access to your best cards. I think in general, Unsealed and Necropolis is a much stronger card than Wildwood Escort. And I think, uh, you know, the deck likes Unseal as a... Uh, grindy card advantage card but not as much as it likes removal but you know it's uh in the space with the other you know cards that make sense but aren't helping you directly get to your small game how can amori be that bad this format is not kind to four mana creatures that don't offer some kind of immediate value the removal is very strong and cheap cards are very good and Four is just a lot of mana to spend on uh, just kind of a generic body. Is black green something you don't move into unless you already have the interactions picked up early, or I guess individually powerful cards? Well, I don't know what could possibly get you into black green that isn't a powerful card or removal spell, given that like if this is the archetype in, you want to be prioritizing removal spells and bombs, it would be kind of weird to like end up in black green 
just based off of like these kind of like low impact small ball value creatures right i would say that like the thing that you're describing sounds like a spot where you've taken some kind of like flexible value cards out of some weak packs and you don't have a lot of interaction and you're in black green and in that space i would suggest that you really need to find a way to have removal and if you're not seeing it in black green you should either be pivoting out of black green or uh just looking for splashes like if if your deck has a lot of swamps and forests in it you basically always are in a spot where you want a lot of removal and you should be like splashing to get it if you're not seeing it in black and green. If black green wants a lot of removal, why does Seed of Hope overperform? Seed of Hope just overperforms in general relative to when it's drafted and how much it's played. Part of that is that it's not played a lot or drafted highly because it's best in small numbers. And so a lot of that is just a trick of the stats, and it's not like I actually prioritize playing Seed of Hope very highly. But also, I did see a recent trophy deck that had like nine misses for Seed of Hope and was playing three Seed of Hopes anyway, even though its misses included uh, like Glistening Dawn and Beseech the Multiverse, like a lot of really, really good cards. But it was a weird deck. It was like Five color base green black with a million bombs. And I think it just wanted Seed of Hope to like make its mana function. I don't think I would have played three of them with the odds of missing that it had, but it kind of made sense. But it was weird because it was the sort of deck where it's like, well, this could be playing kind of whatever filler it wanted and probably trophy because it has like six busted rares or something. But I, I wouldn't read a lot into Seed of Hope. Like I said, the the overperforming commons were more of a like minor aside rather than something that should really be guiding your preferences in Black Green. Black Green always seemed to me as a deck that is very good at controlling the game and then casting Haymakers using Blighted Burgeoning, such as Emoti, which combos with Invasion of Lorwyn. Why is that not the case? Well, Blighted Burgeoning is a good way to splash but a relatively low priority source of card advantage-ish, right? Like, it gives you two objects. But as I was saying with Portent Tracker, I think ramping is pretty weak in uh, black-green or just in very attrition-based strategies in general. Like, I would rather have a cheap removal spell than a cheap ramp spell and make the game go longer uh, rather than cast my big stuff faster into my, potentially my opponent's removal and then kind of be down a card or have like a very low impact like 2-2 incubator token to show for this card that I used to play stuff faster and then I end up flooding out. So like Blighted Burgeoning is very good in like multicolor green decks but not so great in green black specifically. And then as far as like Emoti with Invasion of Lorwyn, uh, Emoti is good, and Emoti likes six drops, and Emoti likes six mana battles specifically, but uh, Invasion of Lorwyn itself is just clunky and doesn't perform well, and when you win, when you do that thing, what you're seeing is the power of Emoti more than the power of Invasion of Lorwyn, and Emoti into a land cycler, cycler would probably be good enough while risking less than the Invasion of Lorwyn does. 
since black red and black green share a small game concept could i sort of lump them together when i'm bouncing between colors in the jun space uh to maximize the number of uh quality sheep interaction yes I think that this is another kind of general structural thing where what black green in magic traditionally is looking for is really, really similar to what Jund in magic is looking for. We see this with stuff like, you know, modern uh, and other constructed formats having decks that play out basically the same way that are, you know, there are black green builds and there are Jund builds. And you can certainly play a Jund deck in most limited formats that's very similar to the black-green deck that you're playing by just splashing red cards using your green fixing into your black-green deck. The things that you need to watch out for there are, again, the same issue that I was talking about with blighted versioning, where you want to be careful that the fixing that you have to enable your three colors isn't increasing the number of mana sources in your deck to the point that you're going to be in a spot where you use a lot of one-for-ones and then flood out. So you want to make sure that uh, you have some mana sinks or that your fixing is more dual lands and fewer cards that represent just additional mana sources in your deck, like Blighted Burgeoning and Skittering Surveyor. And then also I think that Black-Red is doing small a little bit differently. Black-red is a little bit more invested in establishing a clock and clearing blockers, whereas black-green is more like removal first and then finish with big stuff. And black-red is also looking for like small creatures to take advantage of red convoke cards and small creatures to go wide to take advantage of sacrifice synergies, whereas black-green is more looking to avoid low impact objects so you do want to keep track of whether you're more in the like valuing random small bodies the way that red black would or whether you're not very invested in small bodies the way that black green is when you're kind of trying to merge these so black green splashing red removal makes sense but watch your uh, mana source count and watch your uh, creature sizing to, and pay attention to your like sacrifice fodder as you start trying to like blur the lines of what these decks are doing. Is Vatkeeper as good as people want it to be? I don't know how good people want it to be, but it is a very strong card. Vatkeeper is, uh, you know, like two meaningful sized bodies that come down at a good enough time to block while uh, presenting enough total power in a single card to really capitalize in a spot where you've removed your opponent's blockers. Uh, the 3-3 is big enough to provide some virtual card advantage by like invalidating some opposing creatures, uh, making all of your incubates higher impact, uh, has a lot of synergies with just making the game go along and some other cards that you want. Um, that, that Keeper is very much the right kind of card for black-green. Wanting a small game and land cyclers over, overperforming makes me think that black-green is interested in using land cyclers to shave lands. Might that be the case? It 
might be. You can do a little of it. I do get where you're coming from. I am cautious about shaving lands for land cyclers in this format because I think that the format is very good at punishing you for needing to spend that mana early to get out of stumbling, but I could hypothetically see a little of that happening, especially if you are in a space where you're like playing three color and uses, using Blighted Burgeoning for fixing while wanting some expensive cards to have to spend the extra mana on and not wanting to go crazy with your mana sources. Wary Thespian is likely to trade up when blocking, but likely to trade down when attacking. Uh, does it being good in black-green tell us that black-green is less, invest less interested in attacking? A little bit less interested in attacking, especially early. Yeah, that's kind of what I was saying is like fundamentally different about black-green from black-red. I think that black-green is more comfortable in the late game and has more like big creatures and, you know, can grind pretty well with like Unsteal and Acropolis combined with like Converter Beast. Uh, where you can chump or sack the O1 and keep the 5-5 five five and then amass more 5-5s five as a way to like go big. If you have a Vat Keeper, those are 10-10s. Ten so yeah, I, I do think that you're reading some of the right things into Thespian there. Something I noticed in Black-Green is that you can end up with a lot of Phyrexians. Salad and Vat Keeper produce a lot of Phyrexians per card the point where a single gift of completion provides a ridiculous amount of card selection or virtual card advantage is that conducive to black green at all your premise and conclusions are not unreasonable the only issue is the gift of completion is just a pretty bad card so you're right that it is better in black green than it is in most places but uh to the point about black green wanting to play a small game um, and the uh, priorities that you have on cards that trade resources with your opponent. I think that Traumatic Revelation, the two-mana discard spell that uh, can incubate, uh, plays very similarly to Gift of Completion, in that they're both uh, two-mana to make an incubate three with a uh, small upside. In Gift's case, you get this enchantment that lets you surveil. In Revelation's case, you get to see their, their hand, and then if you want, you can make them discard something instead of having the three-three. And I think that in practice, uh, Traumatic Revelation is almost always going to be more in line with what your green-black deck actually needs than Gift of Completion. And I have not often found myself in a spot where I'm like, short on traumatic revelations or traumatic revelation effects so it's uh difficult to find a space where i'm like really looking for gift of Revelation. Right, the more expensive effects in transforming card stats low from people running them in the wrong spot or they're not worth considering even if your deck is confidently able to do the small game strategy really well so i don't know exactly where cards underperform and overperform their stats uh in any kind of like data-based way right like I, I only am looking at the general numbers and extrapolating from there uh but i will say that even in green black they underperform and i expect that green black is always trying to do this as the removal spells are the top performing cards they're taken highly they're played in large numbers the trophy decks that are green and black are playing a lot of removal. I don't think that like there's some other way to draft green black that's happening enough to like wildly throw off the stats. And I also, you know, see a similar effect 
everywhere where all of the like expensive transform creatures don't perform anywhere where you would think that they might. That said, you know, the more your deck is good at, you know, having its bases covered with a lot of like robust cheap removal, the more you can afford to play some expensive creatures. But I wouldn't recommend looking for an excuse to play those cards. And if I'm playing an attrition-based game plan, uh, am I interested in main decking Corrupted Conviction, since it helps me find th uh, removal and haymakers? So I was mentioning that like black-green doesn't make great use of Nizumi Informant, because the 1-1 body doesn't help you very much. To that end, I don't think that you want to prioritize having enough like fodder for Corrupted Conviction most of the time. That said, I do think Icker Drinker and Nizumi Informant are generally good black cards, and it's fine to have them in your deck. And if you have enough of them, Corrupted Conviction could make some sense. But I do think that you want to be actively drafting this deck differently than red-black that's really looking to have a lot of informants and Icker Drinkers and Corrupted Conviction. You get either of the black-green Convoke rares. Would you actually change the way you pick cards, um, or you'd be okay with them being usually cast for mostly the full mana value? Good question. I think that uh, both of the expensive black-green uh, Convoke rares, the Hoarding Broodlord and the uh, Imperiosaur, are fantastic and appreciably better when you can Convoke them early, and... I think that Nizumi Informant and Icker Drinker and even Overgrown Pest uh, and the like are good cards that don't necessarily excel in black-green uh, black because the body doesn't matter that much. And the fact that... Uh, basically, I don't need much of an excuse to value those cards more highly because they're so just generally good. So if I do have a Convoke Rare, I'm happy to uh, switch my thinking from this doesn't really get me anywhere or like serve a purpose in my deck to, okay, this is like a good card that is doing something specific for me, making my best cards really, really good and putting me in a spot where I can now prioritize Unseal with some cheap value cards and get better access to my rares early enough in the game that uh, they'll be more likely to either win or be answered. And then if they're answered, I can unseal them and get even more value. So I, I definitely think that those cards in particular do have the ability to meaningfully change uh, how I'm prioritizing um, other cards. I'm still going to be trying to prioritize removal. It's not going to fundamentally change what I think I'm doing with green black, but it will definitely inform which non-removal cards I'm prioritizing how. On the one hand, it feels like you can play good black cards and good green cards, but on the other hand, I'm being told that uh, black and green cards together need to have a specific game plan, and that doesn't necessarily make use of those cards to that end. It feels like I'm trying to end up in black-green small game, but accidentally being too grindy instead. Have I gone wrong? A bit difficult for me to differentiate the and understand the concepts. So basically, and this is how I was uh, planning to conclude, 
you should genuinely treat prioritize small game, prioritize removal, prioritize interaction as like a mantra when you're drafting. Anytime it's at all close, look for the card that actively votes for a small game over the card that votes for a big game. A lot of the picks that you'll see, you won't have an option to take a removal spell. And I'm not suggesting that you go so far as to like prioritize like a Traxxas fall or whatever. And I think that those spaces where, you know, you're not giving up a premium removal spell like Deadly Derision or a good but not premium removal spell like Cosmic Hunger, you take those when you see them, barring bombs, you know, fundamental limited stuff. Uh, but then um, there will be a lot of other packs. And in those other packs, you'll have the option of taking, you know, like, a land cycler or a like mid-range convoke creature or a mid-range uh transform creature or um you know a value creature or something and i think that in those spots you know true to the format you're looking for lower curve value creatures and when you take those lower curve value creatures uh that's where you end up incidentally being good at uh, generating card advantage for yourself in a way that helps you win attrition games, but also ends up like voting for a big game. You just need to be careful not to do too much of that and end up playing a big game where you can't interact enough with your opponent's stuff. And yeah, small game here certainly doesn't mean fast game, of course, and it doesn't mean trying to go under people. Uh, you're, it, it's, it's very much about attrition. As far as like good green and black cards together, I would say that's very much what the focus is. The focus is specifically the idea that green and black is low synergy in the like parasitic card sense. Uh, parasitic mechanics being uh, mechanics that get stronger the more of them you have. So like backup, I would say, is not fundamentally a very parasitic mechanic, but some red white and green white decks that like have things that call out plus one plus one counters or the backup mechanic try to turn backup into a parasitic mechanic they try to reward you uh more for each backup card the more backup cards you have black green doesn't have any of that and it doesn't have a convoke and small creatures are not exactly parasitic, but there is this thing where the further down this path you go, the more you're getting paid. Green-black isn't looking to do any of that. You're not trying to, like, lean into these, like, parasitic mechanic synergies. You're looking to just play individually good cards so that, you know, when the dust settles after all of your one-for-ones, you have the best things left. and. That's kind of like what an individually good card is, right? It's a card that just kind of stands on its own. So black-green is the anti-synergy deck. Not to say that you're playing a bunch of cards that directly conflict, though in a sense you are, in that you're trying to play a small game while having all these like two-for-ones that vote for a big game. But what I really mean is you're about tearing down your opponent's synergies um, so that 
uh, none of the cards scale to be greater than the sum of their parts, and your cards are just good individually on their face. And with that, I think I'm going to wrap it up. Thank you, uh, as always, for uh, tuning in. Thank you, especially uh, those of you who uh, could make it live and ask some questions. And as always, I'll be back uh, next week for more. Bye for air for light speed.